Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. We have a list on our website, warrocketajax.com, called Every Story Ever. What we're doing is we're taking lists from our listeners of three comic book stories, and then we are placing those stories on the list from best to worst comic book stories of all time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the War Rocket Ajax, every story ever special, for February 2023. 
My name is Matt Wilson. Chris Sims is here with me. Hello. Biscuit also here. That's right. Biscuit's here. Biscuit's in the house. We are recording this at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on February 27th, which means zero time to edit. Which means Biscuit's in this episode. That's that's right. You're going to get the bis. And you're going to like it. And if you hear Harrison the cat, same goes there. Call this a bis track. His <laughs> biscuits on it. <laughs> Chris, I noticed something. Chris and Biss. I noticed something. Last episode of, of these specials that we recorded, that was... Every Story Ever special number 96. Oh! Which makes this Every Story Ever special 97. That is how sequential numbers work. That's right. Seven comes after six. And it eight, nine. That's right. And then, so eight will be March, nine will be April, which means in May, it's going to be Every Story Ever special number 100. Incredible. I don't know if we should do anything special for that one. I don't know if we I can we do rank anything. A hundred stories <laughs> in rapid fire succession. I th- and I think we should do it on a live stream, and we can't stop till we're done. That will take so long. I oh, mean, eventually man. we'll just be like just shouting out numbers. Well, here's the thing: there are some listeners who just want us rapid-fire ranking, right? They do. So, if Special 100 was us as rapid-fire as possible trying to rank stories with no discussion... (laughs) With no discussion, because that's not what the fucking show is. Yeah. Or with as little discussion as possible, Mm -hmm. then, yeah, that would be what those listeners want. So... I don't know. We'll think about it. Listeners, you let us know if that's what you want the 100th Every Story Ever special to be. <laughs> it, hey, if that is what you want the the 100th episode to be, you're listening wrong. You're wrong. And yet, that might be what the 100th episode is. I like the idea of doing it on a live stream. That we could pull off. I think that would be fun, actually. Yeah, because... These specials are kind of live-streamed as it is. They have to be two hours long, and we always record them right at the end of the month, so I barely edit them. So doing a live-stream would not be that different. Yeah, these are live-streamed by necessity. (laughs) They're live to tape. A live-stream like where we're on video, though, could be fun. If we were live-streaming while we were on video, though, everyone would know how much video games I play while we record. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> I, I have ADHD. I need something to do with my hands. It's not weird. You guys it's are not. weird for it's, thinking that. And, and it's all the more impressive that we get so much interesting conversation and insight into these episodes because you're fighting Dracula while they're going on. Okay, I don't. I didn't need you to like st- offer specifics. 
what I do. I offer specifics. It's just because you can just because you can hear an old familiar button hitting pattern. It's it's what I'm best at offering specifics. That is what you are best at. Hey what Matt, before we get into this, can I can yep. I offer like a um like a related sort of tangent? Sure. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but you'll understand when I say this. Okay. Hey, it's been a fucking trip watching everybody else figure out Scott Adams is a dickhead. I think everybody's known. I I knew. Yeah. You knew. Yeah. We knew. Listeners of this show surely knew. I think, okay, anybody who had been aware of Scott Adams and anything that he was doing knew. People who just knew him as the guy who did Dilbert and didn't have any other awareness of anything else he was going on. A, a, a lifestyle I frankly envy. Honestly, yes. When I meet people who aren't perpetually online, who don't know about every little stupid controversy that pops up you on the internet. have personal friends that Scott Adams has been a dick to. Yeah. I envy those people. But... Yes, Scott Adams finally getting his comeuppance. Long time coming. Long time coming. Long time coming. It's I look. I'm glad this is what it took. I'm glad it's happening. But I mean, this ain't fucking news, y'all. It's not like this is the first racist thing he's ever said. Yeah, it's not, just the most blatantly racist thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's he's a real piece of shit, and uh, he likes to. Uh, have sock puppet accounts that he sometimes forgets to log out of that talk about how he's a genius, which is hilarious. Yeah. It's a common, a common practice among those kinds of guys. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I knew about Max Landis before anybody else. That's true. We did. We, you knew about him before anybody else. We knew about him pretty early on. Yeah. I knew about him when he was posting to a message board I was on 10 years ago. Uh, Matt, more than 10 years ago. That was before you and I knew each other. It was it was almost exactly 10 years ago, I think. Because it would have been around 2000. Oh, no, 20 years ago. Shit. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's like 2003, like, 20, like 10 years ago, right? <laughs> That's what oh, happens. Man, I envy you, Matt. You're still in the Obama years. That will happen to you, too, where 20 years ago will feel like 10 years ago. Um, Buddy, I'm still thinking about fucking Graham Morrison's Justice League being modern. (laughs) That's modern comics to me. Yeah, no shit. Anyway, Scott Adams, huge piece of shit. Glad everybody found out. Fuck that guy. We hate him. Uh, And wish nothing but the worst for him. Matt... Let's uh, let's read some fucking comics. That's what we do on this show. That is what we do on this show. Chris, how about a quick rundown of the state of the Every Story Ever list as it stands right now? Well, Matt, right now, as we speak, we've got uh, a dang old grip of comics on here uh, that we're going to be adding 100 to in May as we live stream <laughs> and cannot leave until that's done. Uh, 1,426 comics on the list as it stands. At the bottom, we have uh, Identity Crisis by Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales. 
a uh, very bad comic that we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of. And will it finally be time for us to lay down that grudge once two full decades have passed? No, but we'll see. At the top of the list, of course, uh, If This Be My Destiny slash The Final Chapter by uh, Stanley and Steve Dicko from Amazing Spider-Man numbers 31 to 33, the best comic ever printed, the archetypical Marvel comic. Uh, real, real good one. And in case in case you, you're you new and you only hear those two, you're, you're going to be like, oh, so they like the good Marvel comics, they don't like the bad DC comics. No, that's not what it is. I mean, that is what it is. We like the good Marvel comics and we don't like the bad DC comics. But uh, number two is a DC comic, and there's some pl- plenty of Marvel comic stuff here at the bottom of the list as well. I do think, I do think DC has more in the bottom ten right now. Uh, but but Marvel is is holding on at that uh, clutch fourteen twenty three spot and fourteen twenty one. There are. Three Marvel comics in the bottom ten. Uh, X-Men the Draco, Marvel, and Avengers number 200. There are one, two, three, four. There are four DC comics in the bottom ten. It's a pretty, like, it's a pretty even even split. Yeah. The other three, of course, uh, are uh, Steve Dicko's self-published uh, Mr. A, uh, Legendary's Holy Terror by Frank Miller, uh, and then a Donald uh, Duck comic, a Donald Duck comic, which by one of the best comics creators of all time, but it's racist. It's racist. So yeah, kind of like Dilbert. If Dilbert was good, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what Dilbert would be like. If it was I feel good. gross comparing Carl Barks to Scott Adams, like in any way, actually, now that I've made that joke. Yeah. If, if Dilbert was gir- good, it'd be Garfbert. By Jim Jadams. That's true. J- hey, uh, uh, USA Today and uh, Andrews McNeil Publishing, have we got somebody for you to take a look at if you're going to fill that hole in your publishing lineup? That's right. All right. Here's our first list, Chris. First list we're going to rank. This comes from Impulse. D- like Bart Allen? Um, c- cannot verify. Like from the thirty, the 31st century? Cannot verify. But here are the stories that Impulse has submitted. Uh, two stories that should be on the list and one forgettable one. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for making sure the forgettable ones get on here. Okay, well, one of the stories that should be on the list we have already ranked. It is, in fact, on the list. It's New Fantastic Four. Which, at the time we ranked it, we said, it's good, actually. Yeah. New Fantastic Four is good, actually. Yeah. The other one that should be on the list is the first run of the first series of Eternals. Eternals numbers 1 through 19, written and drawn by Jack Kirby. All right, Matt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal something to you right now. Oh, that you haven't read all of Eternals? <laughs> I have not read all of Eternals. It kind of, it's, I mean, look, it's Kirby, and that's great. Yeah. But it is kind of like, it's kind of great value fourth world, you know? I have read chunks of that Eternal series. And every time I try, 
I just fall off because I find Eternals, no matter who's writing it, no matter who's drawing it, no matter what the story is, I find the Eternals to be exceedingly dull. I mean, look, here, here's what I'll say. A, you're right. Uh, B, Kirby's Eternals, probably the best run of Eternals. I mean, I, I've heard the Kieran Gillen Eternals are good. I bet the Kieran Gillen Eternals is is very good. I don't think Kieran Gillen would be mad if we said this Jack Kirby comic was probably like better than this Kieran Gillen comic. Sure. Jack Kirby's phonogram kicked ass, actually. <laughs> I just I just find the Eternals so dull and the the fact that there is a better version of that that Kirby also did really does not give me great passion to read. Yeah, like we've we've talked before about Kirby having a tendency to revisit ideas and themes throughout his career. Um yep. you know, even going back to like Silver Star, like when we talked about that comic and how it's uh very much a uh like kind of an OMAC riff even. But and you know how many versions of the Newsboy Legion were there? There's a lot. There's a lot of various ga- boy gangs in the work <laughs> of Jack Kirby. <laughs> the man loved a boy gang, Matt. He loved he loved the Newsboys. He loved the Dingbats of Danger Street. He he loved them all. Loved That's to true. have a boy gang. It's true. Well, we talked about Atlas and how that was kind of a revisiting of Thor. Right, right. And I think for our next comics catch-up, we might do Captain Victory and see what that was a revisiting of. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't mean, like, that doesn't mean they're they're bad. Like, OMAC, like, talk about revisiting OMAC. OMAC is, is a Captain America uh, bit, really. Yeah. If you get right down to the kind of nuts and bolts, it's sci-fi Captain America. Uh, so that doesn't mean they're bad, but I do think we do have the superior version of Eternals. <laughs> I think that one, like, that's pretty... It ain't It ain't the glory boat. You're not going to find the glory boat in there. But you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. That, that might be a comics catch-up, Matt. That's a comics yeah. catch-up from 10 years before we were born. That's true. I hmm, maybe I I want to do Captain Victory first because I want it. It's going to be so weird, and I would mm-hmm. love to read some weird Kirby. But maybe we'll also do that first volume of Eternals, and I'll finally get through it because it's like it's not like bad. St- it's not like there's not good stuff in there, like. A lot of stuff about the Celestials is in there. Yeah, and those are the, the issues that I have read and that I do love. Yeah. Are like the ones where Arishim shows up. Yeah. And we really go hard into finding out about the Celestials. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll do Eternals for a catch-up. I'm definitely not reading Machine Man. <laughs> Just so all of you know that. Uh, the third thing on Impulse's list is Round Robin, the Sidekick's Revenge. 
from Amazing Spider-Man numbers 353 to 358 by Al Milgram and Mark Bagley. Uh, now, Matt, have you read this one? Oh, of course I have. Of course you have, yeah. Uh, I have not. I always saw this one... Like, I, I, I know the covers from all the years I spent filing back issues. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've always been curious about this story. Because, like, in my head, there's this whole era of, of Spider-Man that I'm not super familiar with that has stuff like the assassination plot and and Round Robin, the sidekick's revenge, which, A, great fucking title for a story. But, like, who's the sidekick getting revenge? That's There aren't a lot of sidekicks in Marvel Comics. Well, it is a very... Okay. It is... As 1991, as a Spider-Man story can be. Okay. It is a team-up with the Punisher and Darkhawk. Yeah, boy. Which you'd think, you'd think, I, if you would have bet money that I'd read those. Yeah. And uh, the antagonists are uh, the Secret Empire... And uh, Thunderball of of the Wrecking Crew, J- just Thunderball. At, in the first issue, it's just Thunderball. Yeah, uh, that's a that's wild. Yeah. Um. Now I'm trying to remember like exact details of of what happens in this story because I'll tell you right right up front, Chris. This is like the most mid. Uh, middle of the road, forgettable Spider-Man story. You can imagine. It's like fine, you know. Mm-hmm. It's one of those stories. It's like it's fine. I'm still kind of a, like mystified by this idea that it's just Thunderball. Like I want, like when remember when there was a Gambit series. Mm-hmm. And it said, like, at last, the Cajun X-Men in his first miniseries. Like, I wanted to say that, but, like, at last, the ball-swinging member of the Wrecking Crew <laughs> in a solo adventure. I think the sidekick that is the getting revenge is Midnight. Midnight? AKA, AKA Jeffrey Wilde. The son of the Midnight Man. You are. It's not often that we get pulled so deep. I don't know about them. <laughs> Midnight, I was, I think, a very like of the moment uh, sort of character. But as I recall, uh, that is the the person who was getting revenge. Um. The guest stars also, I should note, keep changing every issue. So it's Punisher and Darkhawk in the first issue. And I think Punisher is guest starring throughout. But then Night Thrasher shows up. I fucking love Night Thrasher. Oh, Darkhawk's in the second issue, too. Uh, but then we get Moon Knight in here. Who do we get? Moon Knight. Moon Knight? Okay. Yeah. Uh, then Nova. Also shows up in uh-huh. here, yeah. And that might be all the guest stars. Yeah, I think that's all the guest stars. It's it's like 
it's a, it's about as mid as it can get. Honestly, it's just a revolving door guest star story with some forgettable villains. Uh, I don't, I don't have a ton else to say about it. I've read it and I could not tell you, you know, I earlier, I said my main thing that I do is provide specifics. I can't really give you any about this story. It's, it's very mid. So I'm just going to put it in a very mid part of the list. Yeah. As as we should. Yeah. So Uh, obviously the the list is a little top heavy. So I think seven twelve would be the actual midpoint, but it's certainly not going to go there. The sound of it. Seven twelve is Omega effect, which is another Spider-Man crossover. Yeah, it's going to go below that. Uh, let's see. It's going to go below Pizza Hut X-Men. As as it should. Which is at 1050. What's at 1100? 1100 is Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, numbers 55 to 56, Unintended Consequences. This is about that. Uh, I'm, I would put it below Spider-Man and Batman, which is the Dematius Bagley Joker Carnage story, which sounds like it should be good. Honestly, it's it's pretty mid. Also, <laughs> it's it's very mid. Yes. Uh, Watch out for uh, Matt Jacob Freeman over here. <laughs> uh, MDW MJM more like MDW. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would put it below Spider-Man X-Force Sabotage as well. <laughs> That's a good one. But I think I'll put it above Fantastic Four, one, two, three, four, which I think is our lowest rated Grant Morrison comic on the list. I think it is. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Do we not have the filth on here? The filth's pretty rough. I don't think we've ranked the filth. All right. Let so me, we're putting it above Unintended Consequences, below one, two, three, four? Uh, yes, which would put it at the new number 1099, I believe. Uh, it would put it at the new number 1100 even. If it's going above 1234, it's at 1099. Above 1234. Above, above 1234, okay. yeah. Uh, it, we do have the filth on the list. It's at 1328 now. All right, so 1234 is our lowest uh, readable Graham Morrison comic. <laughs> <laughs> uh Impulse did send a backup, which is Archie from Pep Comics 22 from 1941, the first appearance of Archie. Ooh, I would have to refresh myself on that one. I'm sure I've read it. I have definitely not. I have absolutely not read the first appearance of Archie. Uh, I have to have read this. There is there is no universe like we are weirdly in the universe where I did not read Round Robin the Sidekick's Revenge the Spider Man story guest starring Dark Hawk and the Punisher, but there is no world in which I have not read the first Archie. I just need to I just need to look at it real quick. Okay, well let's pull, let's pull this bad boy up. Let's dig into the archives. Let's see. It's Pep Comics was largely a superhero book at this time. 
I, when it started, yeah. Uh, it was uh, The Shield, uh, yeah. primarily. It's a lot of World War II stuff in the issue. Uh, all right, I'm, I am now looking at the first Archie story, which not... You might think that Archie would look like Archie in the first Archie story. He does not. Oh, that's right. I, I have definitely read this one. As soon as I saw this this opening panel, uh, like the, the original gimmick of don't call him Archie because he doesn't like the name Archie, call him Chick, <laughs> which is weird uh, and did not stick. Yeah. Uh, and this is pre-Veronica. Yeah, Betty's a, Betty's in it, but not Veronica. Betty's in it. Jughead's in it. But uh, Veronica doesn't make her appearance uh, for a little while. It's kind of like how Batman wasn't really Batman until Robin showed up. Archie wasn't mm-hmm. really Archie till Veronica was around. Um, Archie gets a job doing circus tricks. And honestly, it's pretty good. Like it's a goofy, like comedy comic, but I mean it's it's pretty good. I mean it's it's Bob Montana and uh, and and Vic Bloom, yeah, doing the the story. So it's got like really solid art, really good panels. Like they're very clearly doing like kind of a uh uh. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a comedy comic with a weird looking kid in it. It's weird that Archie I mean, looks fucking weird. He looks like Alfred E. Newman. He does. He's got he's got the face of a real Alfred E. Newman and the haircut of a fascist. <laughs> pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. Yeah, unfortunately. I'll tell I'll tell you who uh who is dead on. In this first appearance is uh, Forsyth Pendleton, Jughead Jones the third. Yeah, J- Jughead was pretty fully formed from the start. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, there's a there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it here. You know, he's he's trying to impress Betty. It's it's kind of fun to see Betty as the like the unambiguous like girl that he's trying to impress, which is not what she would be when Veronica showed up, like that would not be her role in the love triangle going forward. Right. So that's kind of fun. I don't know. I, I like it. I like uh, the first Archie. It ends with Archie falling into a vat of taffy mm-hmm. and uh, getting it all over Mr. Cooper. And then he ends up in a tree with dogs trying to get to him. Here's what I, I guess like. to, to get the taffy? Get the taffy, man. There's a horse there, too. <laughs> yeah. There's a horse, but a big dog. Horses are dogs. I don't know if you know that. Do I need to go through my my whole thing? We'll, we'll, we'll save it for a later date. All animals are either cats or dogs. I'm right about this. It's very easy to tell which is which. The think about it, and you'll know it's true. It's the one that always blows people's minds. I think is uh, that uh, tigers are cats and lions are dogs. But that's just the way it is. Think about it, and you'll know I'm right in your heart. 
Oh, it's very similar to my theory that all food is either cake or pie. All right. Okay. We're going to have to start an entirely new podcast. <laughs> Where cake you and I come up with, pie. like, every episode, you and I come up with two things. And we have people send in lists of items that we have to decide are are one of those two things. <laughs> Either the or. Duality, the, the duality of man with Chris and Matt. I was going to call it the either or podcast, but yeah. It's, it's, Either or is, is, is also a pretty good name. Yeah. That's Let's what this Matt should have been. <laughs> You're right. Uh, all right, let's rank. Uh, let's rank the first appearance of Archie. Here's what I like: is that there's a blurb at the end of it that's so wordy. Like here's here's the last panel of this comic. Some kid that Archie Hagang. There's another barrel of trouble and fun waiting for him and his pal Jughead in the next issue of Pep Comics. If your heart is weak and you can't stand laughing too much, then don't read it because you'll roar until you catch your breath or until you can't catch your breath and the tears will roll. Archie Comics last sensation. That's threatening. It's I don't think it's a great idea to overpromise on comedy. I gotta know what the story was in Pep twenty three. Yeah, that is a good a good point. I I also that's how you know this is a golden age comic. I mean, aside from the art, yeah, it, golden age comics loved those like long ending blurbs. Okay, first of all, Pep twenty three has fucking Nazis trying to replace the torch on the Statue of Liberty with a giant swastika, and the shield and the black hood are about to drop on and beat some ass. So that's already pretty good. Okay, but how did they get that far? I mean, Matt, how many times do I have to say it? Cops don't actually help people. Fair point. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm looking through this thing, trying to find this uh, second Archie story. Who, who do we got here? Jolly Roger. He looks like he's an aviator of some kind. Here we go, Archie. Oh, Matt, he's on some he's on some ice. He's, that he's ice. trying to do some ice skating. That ice is gonna break. Yeah, buddy. Uh uh literally page two. That <laughs> ice breaks. Archie goes right through it. Knew it. Knew it. Betty looks like she's about thirty-five years old in this. I well, people aged differently back then. Oh no. Oh no. Mm, that's not good. I I don't want to know. <laughs> Ooh, maybe don't go read the second Archie comic. <laughs> we're not Yikes. ranking. We're not ranking that one. We're just doing the first one. Rank the first one. Yikes! Sorry, I got real distracted. Um, I don't know. Like, I think this is. It's probably not as good as the first Captain America. It's kind. Of, I mean, it's kind of on par with the case of the Chemical Syndicate, honestly. Okay. Uh, which we have at number nine hundred and seventy-seven. I think taking legacy into account. Obviously, I I prefer a lot of the Batman we've gotten to a lot of the Archie that we've gotten, and I say that as a uh, noted fan of uh, of Archie Andrews. Uh, but I mean, like, as an individual story, I think it's as good, you know? Okay. So, so, 
Where are you thinking? Where are you thinking? Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm scrolling down a little bit. First Archie's not as good as Here Comes Tomorrow. First Archie's not as good as Pizza Hut X-Men either. I think First Archie's probably as good as... 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 Let's see. It, it's it's probably as good as Night Business. No, I like Night Business more, actually. <laughs> I did just buy... Did, I bought a beautiful hardcover edition of Night Business, which I did not know existed until I saw it at the store. And I texted you. I sent you a picture, and I was like, did you know there was a hardcover of Night Business? Okay. Is it better... I did not know that. Uh, but that's pretty cool. Do, do you think it's better than the first appearance of Moon Knight in Werewolf by Night? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would agree. But, but first Moon Knight is is he's not really Moon Knight yet. Yeah, Archie, Archie kind of Archie from the start, from the yeah. Starchy, from the Starchy. Except for he's chick. Is that a thing? Dudes used to like like a cool nickname for dudes. Chick. No idea. What's weird is that Betty would eventually have a brother named Chick. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, it's it's not. I guess there was Chick Hearn. Let's all right, let's let's see. Dudes named Chick. The the best one I can think of is Chick Hearn, who was a sports commentator. D- uh, Wikipedia got a whole list of people nicknamed Chick. I guess it was a thing specifically in the forties. Hmm. Looks like looks like it looks like it's a big Canadian thing too. Hmm. A lot of baseball players, which I can see. Yeah, all names are either baseball names or football names. By the way, or, or basketball names. Chick Hearn or was a basketball, basketball name. You, you can't get a basketball name. Yeah, you will never see a baseball player whose name sounds like he would play football. No, never. You'll never see a football player whose name sounds like he will play baseball. That's a fact. They're very distinct names that are baseball names. They're very distinct names that are football names. They're very distinct names that are basketball names. You will never see a baseball player or a football player named Muggsy. That's so true. Have, I would say you'd be hard pressed to find a football player named Chick. <laughs> Fair. What are what what? Where are we looking on the list here, Matt? Above the first appearance of Moon Knight, which is at number ten sixty eight. Okay. So what we need to know is it is it better than or worse than X Men: The Phalanx Covenant? It's better than the Phalanx Covenant. Phalanx Covenant ain't no good. <laughs> better or worse than the Fables story that runs through the Detective Green Arrow in question annuals? Not Fables, the comic book about fairy tale characters by a man who wrote a one act play from the perspective of uh, an aborted fetus. Yeah, not that one. Yelling at Barack Obama. Roxanne Obama, excuse me. Right. Um, but Fables, the Denny O'Neill crossover. I think it's not as good as that, so I think we know. Okay. So it's at the new number 1067. And I'm just going to say First Archie, because the story is called Archie. Uh, first Archie, and we'll say Pep Comics number 22. All right. I went ahead and looked at the story in Pep Comics 23, and Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. 
No reason for that. No reason for that whatsoever. I think that that one was a new one to me, so I think they've got the sense to not reprint that comic. Uh, Let's move on to this list from Paul S. I haven't read any of these, Chris. Paul S. Tompkins? Uh, No. That wasn't funny either. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying. We're throw. trying. We're we're throwing what will stick. We'll, we're throwing things against the wall and seeing what will stick. That's that's what that's what the end of the month is. That's what every story ever is, and I think that's why people like the every story ever specials because it's fucking jazz, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what happens right before you wake up, wake up, wake up. The first of the month, right. Paul S. has a list of Disney comics for 90s kids for us. So, Chris, these are these are all you. If 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 you haven't read these, I don't we can't rank them because I haven't all read right. any. Alright, what's the what's the what's the premise again? Disney comics for 90s kids. Okay. First is The Duck Knight Returns from Darkwing Duck, numbers one through four. By Ian Brill, James Silvani, and Aaron Sparrow. Ian uh, Brill, who was a, uh, a a member of the old uh, turn of the century comics blogger internet. That's right. Ian, Ian Brill was uh, was was one of us back in the day. Was a guest uh, on the show as well. Yeah, never read it. S- same. Not for any reason. I like Ian. I like Darkwing Duck. I like Batman. I heard I heard good things about it. But uh, I never actually got the chance to sit down and read this one. It was published by Boom Studios in 2010. So that that's one we cannot rank. Next up is Legends of the Chaos God, chapters 1 through 5, by Bobby J.G. Weiss and Cosme Quartieri, serialized in Disney Adventures Magazine, numbers 46 through 51. Okay, I did have a subscription to Disney Adventures. That sounds awesome as hell. It is a tailspin story. I mean, this like I I just looked it up. I just typed the legend of the chaos god into Google and buddy, it popped right up. Oh, it's it's actually like a big crossover story. So the first part was a tailspin story. Then there was a Chippendale Rescue Rangers part. Then there was a Goof Troop part. So it was like every Disney afternoon show crossed over. There was a DuckTales part. Then there was a Darkwing Duck part. Okay, this sounds like it kicks ass, actually. I have not read this. I would like to read this. So potential catch-up candidate. Yeah, there was a, a, a... Fantagraphics hardcover that collected this that was released last year. Yeah. Do we know anybody at Fanta? I don't think we know anybody at Fanta anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. But uh, this is a potential catch-up for the future. It's either going to be Jack Kirby's Eternals or the Tailspin Rescue Rangers Goof Troop DuckTales Darkwing Duck crossover comic with the most metal title of all time. (laughs) <laughs> well, I know for sure uh, that we're going to do Captain Victory, and then maybe Eternals, and then maybe The Legend of the Chaos God. Finally, 
is Stranger Danger from Chippendale Rescue Rangers numbers four through eight, also written by Ian Brill and illustrated by uh, Lionel Castellani. Haven't read that either. Um, th- yeah. That's a, that's three swings and three misses for me. Yeah, same, same. But I mean, I want to read at least two of these. I really want to read one of them. No offense, Ian. Uh, we we will certainly consider Legends of the Chaos God, uh, which does have that's that's just a story you want to read. Yeah, I can't believe that there was a story called Legend of the Chaos God that was printed in Disney Adventures. Disney Adventures has some good ass stuff in it. It does. I remember. Uh, I I remember an interview with uh with Terry Hulk Hogan. Uh, in Disney Adventures, where he uh, he did not say anything racist, to my knowledge, and, and uh, uh, did expose the business <laughs> in Disney Adventures. Well, they asked him if wrestling was fake, and he was like, "Look, you pick somebody up and throw them on the ground, it hurts." <laughs> and I was like, "Damn, you're right." Like. That is the that's that's the best response to that question. Like, it still hurts. <laughs> that that uh, I bet that is that would have been like mid nineties, right? Uh, yeah, I had to be uh, like between ten and and twelve, so early to mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. So this would have been after Vince and Linda McMahon were saying in court filings that wrestling was staged. And predetermined. I mean, you say that, but I would like to credit the journalists at Disney Adventures for really doing the work on this one <laughs> and explaining it to kids in a way that still preserved the like. I mean, you know, I know Jim Cornette was mad about it. I'm sure, but fuck that guy. Um, but also gave a lot of hope to children who also had very large heads when. Terry Hulk Hogan did talk about how when he was a kid, his head was the same size as it is now, which was large. And he used to get made fun of because he couldn't find a a hat that would fit him when he played baseball. (laughs) They could, they didn't have like the helmet when you wear a bat. Cause his head was so big as a boy. We do have an alternate from Paul, but I don't think this one is any more likely to have been read by us. It's Evronians Evronians from Paparinic New Adventures, which was reprinted by IDW as Duck Avenger number zero in 2016. That is a wild title and description. I have not read it. I do like the sound of it. It is, it's a Scrooge story. Yeah, but I mean, like, look, man, if it ain't, if it ain't Barks, if it ain't Rosa, I sometimes don't always read them. Yeah. The way this is described is, when Scrooge McDuck buys a mysterious ultra-high-tech duck lair tower, Donald sneaks onto a forgotten floor and as Duck Avenger finds an amazing AI sending him into a breathless space alien battle. I mean, that sounds... 
That sounds wild. Yeah. It also originally was an Italian comic. Most modern duck comics are. Yeah. Uh, So, sorry, Paul. Did did you see any when you were over there? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I did. Although, I went into some Italian comic shops and was kind of shocked to not find that many Italian comics. I mostly found just, like, translated American comics. And you didn't manga. find any familiarity. Not re- I, I was really looking for some uh, Corto Maltese comics to buy in Italy, you know? And I couldn't find it anywhere. Is... Is... Fucking Corto Maltese... Is it Maltese? That's what I've heard. It, I mean, it may, it, it may just be Maltese. Maltese. But that dude having a fucking scar on his palm because he went to a fortune teller and then grabbed a knife and slashed his own lifeline (laughs) as he makes his own destiny, that's badass. Yeah. That's raw as fuck. That's the shit I wanted. I wanted to find some of those comics, and almost every comic shop was just selling, you know, American comics and manga translated into Italian. Corto Maltese kind of looks like a fuckboy, though. A little bit, yeah. 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 He looks like some dudes I went to college with. (laughs) Hey, um, Marlene's TikTok where she says I look like I slam puss. (laughs) (laughs) That shit got me. So good. Please Follow Marlene on TikTok, everybody. Please let Marlene know that that one is going to stick with me for a while. (laughs) I will. I will let her know. Uh, Our next list comes from Jolene, who uh, says they are aware that this might get DQ'd. All right. Uh, But actually, we haven't done a list from you on this episode, Jolene. So we are okay. God, imagine how long... Episode 100 is going to take when with all the DQs, because we stopped reading comics in, like, 2012. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, the first comic on Jolene's list is This Place Was Home by N.D. Stevenson. Um, I don't know if I've read that one. I'm trying to it, think about which N.D. Stevenson comics I've read besides... Nimona. Uh, so, this place was home. Was a web comic. Is a web comic. And uh, very recent, published in twenty twenty two. It was a Boba Fett fan comic. Uh, I can send you the link. It it might be a little too long for us to like read right now and then uh, rank. But it is a recent web comic that would be easy to read and catch up on. Probably so. That might be a, a, a catch up bonus. Cause I mean, like if you, if you told me, Hey, why don't you go read this Boba Fett fan comic for your show? I feel like one of the only senses that you could follow that up with that would make me want to do it is it's by N.D. Stevenson. <laughs> Correct. Yes. 
It's uh, it's about little kid Boba with Django. Uh, so, you know, maybe one we can we can uh, read since it's all all available on the on uh, Indy Stevenson's website. Uh, next is Catwoman. I'll take Manhattan, which is Volume Two, issues sixty six through seventy one. Uh, so that's the, that's the post Brubaker. Yes. Well, Catwoman, is Catwoman volume one, Jim Ballant Catwoman? <laughs> well, Catwoman volume one would be the miniseries by Mindy Newell. Catwoman volume two would be the one that Jim Ballant drew all of. Catwoman I volume think... three would be the Ed Brubaker series, but a lot of people forget the, the Mindy Newell book. We're talking about the Jim Balance story, written by Devin Grayson. What about Jimmy B? Yeah. Uh, I have not read that one. I think Jolene is really interested in us catching up on some Jim Balance Catwoman. Buddy, that ain't the Jim Balance book I'm going to be catching up on. (laughs) And you know it, and I know it. I mean, it is written by Devin Grayson, which means it's you know probably to a certain level of good. It's wild to go back and look at Jim Ballant, who, by the way, drew every issue of Catwoman. He was like that volume uh, of Catwoman, yeah, the, yeah, of seventy-seven issues, I think, plus all the annuals, plus the specials. He did all of them. Uh, it's weird to go back and look at those and be like, "This is the man with the shackles on." This is Jim Ballant at his most restrained. <laughs> what do you think of that era Catwoman costume? The purple one? Purple one where her hair comes out the back. I mean, it's fine. Like, it's like, I... I don't hate it. But it's also... Like... It feels so generic in a way that Catwoman costumes that are, like, almost objectively more generic don't. Like, the animated series costume that's just, like, the gray bodysuit with little cat ears and the little belt looks more distinct than yeah. than this does. And this is kind of the 90s-up version of the dress, which is also a really good costume. Uh, the the dress costume, one of the one of the best costumes of its era, I think. That that like one of the best Bronze Age costumes is Catwoman's purple dress with the slits all the way up. Like oh, interestingly, in this very story where Catwoman is in New York, she gets a new costume. Where her hair doesn't come out the back anymore. And uh, she, so like, the costume covers her hair. Or I think maybe she gets a haircut. I'm I'm not sure which one it is. One of the two. Um, But her new costume has uh, big whiskers. It does have big whiskers. I think this was the costume that she wore up until... Uh, the the Darwin Cook costume. 
that did in yeah. fact have whiskers. Yeah. Man, this this story looks wild. Lady Vic is in this. I think the body doubles are in this. I love the body doubles, by the way. That's a that's a great utility player supervillain team that should come back. Uh body doubles just there's two of them, and they're hot ladies and they're mercenaries, and that's literally it. <laughs> I think I like I said. I think Jolene is very keen on us reading some Jim Ballant era Catwoman. I mean, look, I'll do it. I'll I will do it. All right. The third story on Jolene's list. This one I think we have to have read. It's Birds of Prey Apocalypse Express, which is Volume One, Issues Thirteen through Fourteen. I've absolutely read this. I, I've read almost every issue of Birds of Prey. Yeah. So th- this one, I feel like we can f- be reasonably safe ranking. I do have to remind myself what happens in it, though. Yeah. So this is the, the 1999 Birds of Prey series. The uh, the Chuck Dixon version of Birds of Prey. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chuck Dixon, Greg Land. Back when... when Greg Land was, I think, really doing some solid work. But better than what would come later. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh, this has got this is this is Catwoman in the Whiskers costume. Yeah, man, it's it's it's, it's nineteen ninety nine, baby. This might be two thousand actually. So this is this is that No Man's Land era costume with the whiskers on it. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like this is the okay. I don't mean this as bad as it's going to sound. But this is kind of the much worse version of that Suicide Squad arc where they go to Apocalypse. Yeah, so so what happens in the story is the Birds of Prey, which at this point included Catwoman. They're on a train, and then the train goes through a boom tube, and suddenly they're on Apocalypse in the middle of a war yeah with some with some some bad guys i think it's i think it's the hive is who they're hanging out with that yes that's who it is yeah so they're like basically monitoring a a prisoner transfer and then they get boom tube towards a to towards to apocalypse which is fun like that's a fun in in the way that like dc comics of this era were were very kind of Marvel style in the the world connected in a really interesting way. Like yeah, it's the Birds of Prey and and the Hive going to Apocalypse. Like you would not expect that for a two issue yeah. story, and that's fun. That's a fun yeah. thing to see. And you're not kidding. Greg Land's art in this story is way better. Than Greg Land would be, yeah. Years later, it's like th- that was always the really frustrating thing about Greg Land. For, well, I mean, there's a lot of things about Greg Land, uh, but like he did some really good work, like in the late '90s and early 2000s, like up to up to the end of Cross Gen, and that's when he really started, really started with the tracing. The yeah the I was gonna say heavy photo reference but yes 
tracing, light boxing. Yeah. Uh, this this has a pretty cool one on one fight between Black Canary and Lashina of the Female Furies that ends with Catwoman uh, incapacitating Lashina with her like powered up whip. Uh, that's pretty cool. There's some cool monster designs in this. A fun story. Yeah. It's Where fun. Do you wanna... <laughs> it's <laughs> fun. the worst version of that Suicide Squad story. I yeah. think it makes it into the triple digits. I don't think it's. I don't think it goes into the quads. Okay. We're uh, currently at number. Let's say nine fifty is Amazing Spider-Man number six fifty-five to six fifty-six. No one dies. I mean, honestly, look, and again, standard standard disclaimer for uh, the works of Charles Dixon. Uh, fuck that dude. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's it's. The, the, he wrote some perfectly acceptable comics, and this is a perfectly acceptable comic. Uh, I don't think it's as good as when John Byrne, speaking of, uh, brought back Phoenix, brought Gene okay. back. I guess that's at nine sixty six. Uh, and I don't think it's as good as Professor Gorilla. That's at nine eighty. But I think it's probably. I mean, it's probably as good as the the Exo Manowar uh, story arc that introduces Ninjak. Okay, it's is probably it better, better than Yellow. Is it better or worse than New X Men? Here comes tomorrow. It's not as good as Here Comes Tomorrow. That's got Wolverine in his jeans. Okay, so above or below that Exo Manowar story? I'm going to say below Exo Manowar, above Daredevil Yellow. All right, so Birds of Prey. Volume 1, numbers 13 through 14, go at the new number 997, and that story is called Apocalypse Express. So, a fun story. I mean, look, it's Con Air on Apocalypse with the Bird of the Prey. That sounds pretty good to me. Uh... There is one uh, backup here from Jolene, okay. which is Hitman, the Ace of Killers. Boy! <laughs> now, here's, here's the question. Uh-huh. We ranked all of Hitman together. Yeah, did we? Yeah. We did. Dang. Is this included in all of Hitman? I mean, yeah, because it's like we ranked Hitman 1 through 60. Which is at number 42 on the list, and this is like the second or third story arc. Oh, I get it. These are all Catwoman stories. They are, yeah. Yeah. Catwoman's in that one. Yeah. But we've already ranked this. That's a good story. That's about a magic gun. It's really good. But we we ranked all of Hitman together. Yeah. So this, this is included in that. Let me tell you. 19 Hitman ran 1996 to 2001. That is it. Put the stamp on it. That's when DC Comics were as good as they have ever and will ever be. 
as a whole, 96 to 2001. That's the era. That is the good stuff. Our next list, Chris, comes from Joshua Golden. And the theme is buy all our playsets and toys. It's licensed toy comics. Hell yes. You know I've read a bunch of these. (laughs) We start with G.I. Joe and the Transformers, numbers one through four, written by Michael Higgins with pencils by Herb Trimpey. This is the Marvel crossover from the 80s. Okay, so not the Tom Scioli Transformers versus G.I. Joe. No. Um, I've never read this, actually, which is weird, I know. But at the time that I was reading all of G.I. Joe from start to finish, I wasn't that into the Transformers, and this is not a Larry Hama joint, so... Didn't read it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was it was just four issues. I... I... I, I hesitate. <laughs> I really hesitate to be like, we could catch up on this. Because I know what happens when we catch up on beloved comics from the 80s. I mean, look, I would, like, I would read this. It it does feel like that would be filling in a, a gap in in my knowledge that I should probably fill in. The cover of the first issue is literally G- fucking Duke ordering the murder of Bumblebee, <laughs> which is pretty fucking wild. From what I can tell, this is cartoon continuity. This is not Marvel G.I. Joe or Marvel Transformers continuity because all the characters are their cartoon models. Not their Jesus, they really do fucking kill Bumblebee in this. They sure do. God almighty. I don't know, man. This sounds pretty good. But am but I wrong? It's on the catch-up list. It looks like everybody is their cartoon versions. Sergeant Slaughter is in this. Yeah, man, I don't know. I mean, it's 87? So... No, there's a Matt. There's a footnote in this that says G- CGI Joe number fifty. Okay, all this right. Is I guess in, this... this is in Larry continuity. Okay, that that explains that. Uh, this another one goes on the ketchup pile. I'd read the hell out of. I might read this right tonight. <laughs> uh, next on Joshua's list is GoBots by Tom Scioli. Okay, started it, thought it was great, didn't finish it. Please let me know if I should. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure you should. I'm sure we should. Yeah, I'm sure it kicks ass. Uh, I don't know that I ever even started it, but uh, I was never a GoBots person. Nor was I, but we are both uh, pretty strong Tom Scioli guys. That's true. All right, here's one I know you've read, Chris. Transformers Dark Cybertron, numbers 1 through 12, by James Roberts and John Barber. Yeah, boy. I have read Dark Cybertron. I believe I reviewed Dark Cybertron at length at Comics Alliance. Yeah. Fucking Dark Cybertron. Let's hear it. Let's hear about it. 
Okay, so this, I think, yeah, this was the book that launched More Than Meets the Eye, and uh, I think just, was it just Transformers was the one that uh, Barber was writing? Um, and it's fine. It's it's very much a clear the decks and and let's get everything set up. So you know you get the 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 kind of setup of uh of the or wait or is this the one where Megatron comes back? Oh man, I'm gonna have to look up my own articles. This is another thing. As we get older, we forget <laughs> yeah, what we actually one... read. No, okay. Yes, this is the one that happens in the middle of uh, of Robots in Disguise. That was the, the John Barber book. Uh, and more than me see eye. This is the one where Megatron comes back and like stands trial for uh for war crimes, which is pretty, pretty fucking good, actually. <laughs> uh, this is also the one where uh, Rodimus has the Rod Pod, which is uh, the, his little ship that's shaped like his own head, which is always a uh, a classic thing that I enjoy. If you are a character with a vehicle shaped like your own head, I think you're great. Meowth, <laughs> Rodimus, Darkseid. In the Great Darkness Saga, that's just that's just good, actually. Um, yeah, I I remember not disliking this, but it is it does derail the it, it does the worst thing that a crossover can do, which is it derails the story uh, of the what's going on particularly in uh lost light uh, or, or not lost light more than meets the eye the book that eventually becomes uh lost light it's fine uh it's fine it's fine that's about it uh it does have some really good megatron stuff in it uh And uh, according to a joke that I wrote uh, in, what, uh, 2015, um, Optimus Prime does punch a guy so hard that his name changes, which is pretty great. So get, so where does, where does that land on the list? Based on your review that you have now reminded yourself of, mm-hmm. where does that put this on the list? It's probably, I mean, it's all, it's definitely going to be the lowest ranking Transformers thing we have on the list for sure. Okay. Let me, let me find the lowest ranking Transformers thing. Uh, uh, as we Robots in Disguise number one, uh, volume one is at number 963, which is fine. I think this goes almost exactly in that area. I don't like it as much as I liked uh, Wild Dog. But probably more than I liked Empier. Okay. So that puts it the new number nine nice 
969. And it's called Transformers Dark Cybertron. Can you say Cybertron one more time like that? Cybertron. I like it. Thanks. Our next list comes from Philip Neth, who says uh, th- these are all uh, Tatsuki Fujimoto stories. I don't think we've read any of them except for the one we've already read and ranked, which was Goodbye Airy. Uh, yes, we have not yet uh, delved further into uh, Chainsaw Man or uh, or anything else, but I think we should. Yeah, we should. I I had every intention of starting to read Chainsaw Man, and then started reading some other stuff. I I would like to read Chainsaw Man soon. Uh, Philip contends that Chainsaw Man is impossible to subdivide. So, and there are eleven volumes. So, here's the here's the thing, though. Here's my question: Is Chainsaw Man still going? I do not know. If Chainsaw Man is still coming out and is impossible to subdivide, it is unrankable. Then it is unrankable. It cannot be ranked. So. Don't submit it if it's still going on and you think it's un cannot be divided. Because we gotta it's still going. It is still going currently through the present. So we cannot rank it until it is finished. Alright, folks? This this has been a problem in the past where like something has been submitted and it's one big story and we can't rank it. There's a part of me that would contend that Berserk is in that category, although I think we can break up Berserk into parts and mm-hmm. rank those parts. We just can't rank the current ongoing story in Berserk, which apparently will be continued. But Chainsaw Man's still going. We gotta wait until it's finished to rank it. Uh, the other thing of Fujimoto's that Philip submitted is Look Back, which is a one-shot like Goodbye Airy. So we could consider that one. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen the uh, uh, Super Eyepatch Wolf video about Chainsaw Man now. And I kind of get what it's about. I do feel like if I just started reading it from the top, I would maybe be inclined to bounce off of it at the beginning. But now that I know what the story is about, I'm more inclined to go in for the long haul and read what's available. So I I did start the anime and kind of bounced. Because I went to Target. And they had, um, like, some sweatpants, like some Inuyasha sweatpants. And uh, I had just been talking about Inuyasha because uh, everybody was talking about, like, like uh, I saw this, like, um, meme on the internet. Do you know about memes, Matt? I've heard of them. Okay. So I saw this, like, meme on the internet about um, uh, Rurouni Kenshin fans being 
like and Harry Potter fans and Harry Potter fans being like, oh, so we're just supposed to throw this thing away that we love because the creator is bad. And Roroni Kenshin fans saying, yes. And I was like, damn, what happened with Roroni Kenshin? Then I found out what happened with Roroni Kenshin, uh, which is bad. And pretty rough. But I was very confused because I momentarily confused Roroni Kenshin with Inuyasha. And I thought uh, Rumiko Takahashi <laughs> was a pedophile for a minute. <laughs> and then oh, I was man. like, oh, no. Rumiko Takahashi still a perfect angel. We, we love and respect Rumiko Takahashi. And so then I was thinking, like, oh, man, I was thinking of Inuyasha, not Rurouni Kenshin. Rurouni Kenshin's got the guy with the face. Inuyasha's got the guy with the ears. Um, and then I went to Target, and I saw these Rurouni Kenshin pants, and I bought them, and they're very comfortable. So I started watching uh, Inuyasha again. Did I say Rurouni Kenshin pants? Inuyasha pants. Oh, Inuyasha pants. Okay. Inuyasha pants, yeah. Uh, so I started watching... Uh, Inuyasha again, and Inuyasha kind of kicks ass. So, I've been watching Inuyasha again, instead of Chainsaw Man or anything else. I'm going to try to read the Chainsaw Man manga. You should watch Inuyasha. <laughs> Honestly, it, it kicks ass, dude. I, I, I will be the first to admit that I get so many of the anime from that time period mixed up. Like I get, uh, Inuyasha confused with, um, Oh, what's the one where the dude runs funny? Naruto. Naruto. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's the best description of Naruto. That is, that is Matt. That's genuinely one of the funniest things you've ever said. (laughs) <laughs> he runs funny my wife who i love you know me noted wife guy love my wife yeah my partner in life my best friend love her um she constantly she says it's not a bit but it can't not be a bit where she's like forgets the the names of things and very much in that style of what you just did. <laughs> you have a type. Chris, I feel like we have an audience that is especially suited to be interested in our sponsor, Paperlike. We do a podcast that's mostly about comic books. We have a lot of artists who listen to the show. And the Paperlike screen protector for the iPad makes writing and drawing on an iPad feel like you're writing and drawing on paper. That's right, Matt. Now dig this. I'm a note taker. I'm a notebook guy. I'm a stationary guy, a pen guy. But ever since I got the new iPad with the Apple Pencil, I've loved taking notes on it. The only thing that stops me is that it doesn't feel like writing on paper, which I love. I love that feeling. It's one of the reasons that I take notes so much and write down on paper. But with Paperlike, I get that feeling with the convenience, the editability, everything that I love about taking notes on the iPad with the Apple Pencil, I get with the feeling of writing on paper, which sounds so simple, but is so very nice. And if you're wondering how Paperlike makes it feel like that, they have this technology. It's a proprietary technology called NanoDots, 
And that creates the natural resistance of paper while you're writing on your iPad screen. It's pretty amazing. And even if you're not an artist, even if you're just a person who likes to take notes, who needs to write things down to remember them, you're gonna really, I think, like the feel of having this on your iPad. And Chris, I know you've been using yours. It was so weird when I started taking notes on the iPad, because as much as I like the convenience, it's weird to see my handwriting and notice the differences between when I have that resistance and when it's moving across something so smooth. We're we're 40, you and I, right now. <laughs> yeah. I've been writing on paper for a long time, so it took me a minute to really get used to. With paper-like, though, I get to just have that same feeling that feels so familiar, feels so comfortable. But I get to erase when I write a letter that looks weird, which I do in paper notebooks all the time. I can never get my B to look right. You know? My my B always looks weird. What Like, I get it right one out of seven times. With paper, like, I get the feeling of writing on paper, but I get to go back and fix it if I don't like the way that B looks. And that's nice. That's important to me. I know I sound like I'm obsessing, but that's the kind of product this is. If you are the person who obsesses over the feeling of writing on paper, like I do, then you will love it. The latest iteration of Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils that are designed for maximum picture clarity. They're not going to obscure the image on your iPad. And every paper light comes in a set of two. So if you need to replace it, or if you have two iPads, you will have two paper likes to put on your screen. Here's what you need to do. To pick up your paper like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click buy paper like, and select your iPad size. If you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. Chris, our next list comes from Gregory Luther, who has some X-Men stories for us to rank. 95 of them. The first is Ultimate X-Men, issues number 1 through 7, The Tomorrow People. It's it's fine. It's, weirdly, I, I think that did a better job of being an ultimate version of something than the first Ultimate Spider-Man arc. Because the first Ultimate Spider-Man arc is just 11 pages drawn out to six issues. They are already the X-Men in the first issue of Ultimate X-Men. Yeah. like the X- In the way that they are the X-Men in the first issue of X-Men. In 1963, that's true. Like, it, it, you know what it is? Is it's an update, more a like like a Mark Miller version of Night of the Sentinels, the first uh, issue or first episode of the animated series. Chris, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's just Night of the Sentinels. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of like, I mean, consider that this came out. Almost in conjunction with the movie. Right. And 
And I feel like that, like, that sets it, right? This is the post-movie version of Night of the Sentinels. I don't think it's bad. I think it's fine. I think it is the epitome of fine. Because you say it does a better version of being the ultimate version. Or it does a better job of being the ultimate version. But I feel like all the character changes, all the differences, all the ultimatization of the characters is strictly cosmetic. Jean Grey's got a haircut, a short haircut and more piercings in her ears. Wolverine's got that little soul patch. Cyclops has a slightly updated costume. Like, but when they get to Quicksilver, he's just fucking Quicksilver, man. Like, they're just the X-Men. They're just like a slightly more movie-ish X-Men. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing especially different about them. Okay, Iceman has a do-rag. Great. Yeah, man, what if what if I told you that Iceman wore a cool bandana? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot, like... There's a lot of Night of the Sentinels. There's also a lot of mutant genesis in this because number three is fully just like the training sequence from X-Men number one that ends with a uh, bang, Charlie, you're dead. Yeah. Uh, which I fucking love, but like it's, I, I, I kind of feel like that's a better, like, post X-Men movie let's try and give that audience something that that they they will recognize that kind of fulfills this promise more than Spider-Man did and I know that like you know Spider-Man was a couple years before the movie so I don't know yeah I don't know I I feel like <sighs> I mean, the big difference to me is I remember what happens in the first arc of Ultimate Spider-Man. The first arc of Ultimate X-Men is kind of just a jumble of a bunch of different X-Men shit. And again, I feel like the changes, the differences, the ultimatization of these characters is at best cosmetic. Wolverine doesn't even have the fucking soul patch anymore by like issue six. Uh, yeah, but he has um, slipped with Jean Grey on multiple occasions. Yeah, that that is the most ultimate thing about this is that he's like Wolver- sixteen in this. Wolver- I think Wolverine and Jean Grey fuck. That's 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 the most ultimate part. <laughs> that is the that is, that is that Mark Miller influence. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It it's it's fine. It's it's not as bad as other Ultimate books. It's not as bad as Ultimate Iron Man. It's not as forgettable as Ultimate Fantastic Four. But I don't think it's anything special. Yeah, 
Probably not. I mean, like, it's it's also not good, you know? <laughs> like, but I don't, I don't know if, like, the, the, if, if Ultimate Spider-Man's first arc is good, you know? I feel like I it's just, better. I just feel a little something. I just, like, message you a little something there. I feel like it's better than this. I feel like it's better than this. You just don't like that haircut. I really hate that haircut. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Is that Mark, is, is that Mark Miller? Script by Mark Miller. Yeah. I don't it's, know, man. It's a panel of Magneto. His, his mind is being invaded by Charles. He, say, he, says, a, he says a bad word. He, he, he calls Charles a name. It's not good. It's not good because see, it's I, like it's all it's like Magneto. He's a he's also a hypocrite. Yeah, I I don't hate the Andy Kubert art. No, the arts the arts good. I mean, he gave Iceman that do rack. He he sure did. I I just don't feel like it's anything especially different or new. That's that's my criticism. Uh. It's. It just feels like, hey, the X Men you are familiar with here they are again, slightly remixed. You know, we're not really trying anything that different. Uh, I mean, and that's fine. Like, it's kind of a if it ain't broke, don't fix it thing. But that's the whole idea of Ultimate. <laughs> Is to do something new. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 to fix what ain't broken. Yeah. So I don't know. I I would put it below the first arc of Ultimate Spider-Man for sure. Where where is that on the list? Let me see. Uh, we have. I don't think we ha- have it. We have Ultimate Spider-Man Venom and Ultimate Spider-Man Annual Number One. We don't have the first arc of Ultimate Spider-Man on the list currently. I I swear, I have a note somewhere on this spreadsheet about Peter Parker's haircut. I mean, we've we've ranked Ultimate Spider-Man comics, but we haven't ranked. It's you're probably thinking of the one where he dies, the story where he dies. It's funny, I, I just typed hair into the spreadsheet, and I've got three things came up, and two of them are comics that were drawn by Trevor Harrison. <laughs> so, I guess we don't have it, buddy. We don't have the uh, first arc, I know that. Yeah, so, where it, it sounds like I am maybe leaning a little higher than you. I'm curious to know where you will put it. Well, I would put it, okay, I'm just going through every ultimate thing we have on the list currently. The Ultimates by Al Ewing and Kenneth Roquefort is at 141. This is definitely not that good. Ultimates 2 is at 177. Ultimate Comics, all new Spider-Man numbers 1 through 5, uh, which is the debut of Miles Morales, is at 334. Easily the best thing to come out of the Ultimate Marvel line. Uh, well, actually, the first appearance of Miles Morales is from Ultimate Fallout number four, uh, which we have at seven twenty-three. 
Mm-hmm. Ultimate Spider-Man Venom is at 742. I think that story is better than this. It's a better ultimization of a character. Ultimate Spider-Man Annual number one is at 838. Ultimate Comic Spider-Man numbers 156 through 160, The Death of Spider-Man, is at 1024. I think I would be okay putting it between those two. Somewhere in the 900s to 1000s. Okay, alright. Is it better than Blood is the Harvest? Yeah, yeah. Damn. Brutal. Brutal to Clint. (laughs) Sorry, Clint. He's like my fourth favorite McElroy, man. Oh, he's like my third favorite McElroy. <laughs> well, Sid, number one. Easy. Oh, if, okay. Yeah, if we're counting we're counting, if we're counting. we're counting them all. Yeah, okay. okay. Sid, yeah. No, strong number two, Charlie. <laughs> Coming in hot at number three is Juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I'd say Clint. Probably a, a snug number four. Above Griff. Above Griffin. Well, I, I, I know he's above Griffin on your list. I like Griffin. I just think he's got wild, unchecked ambition. <laughs> you like Griffin. You just recognize something in him that must be stopped. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think it's above Blood is the Harvest, yeah. I don't know if it's above Swamp Thing Volume 2, number 32, though. Okay. Which would put it directly above Blood is the Harvest. All right, then I think we I think we can put it there. All right. Uh, that would put it the new number 936. And I said it was Ultimate X-Men numbers 1 through 7. It's actually numbers 1 through 6. Uh, the story ends at number 6. Um. And it's called The Tomorrow People. Like, Why was the one cosmetic change to Wolverine that fucking stupid soul patch, though? You had to be able to tell the difference between him and regular Wolverine. But he still had to be very recognizable as Wolverine. Or people... Like, he's also taller. Like, I specifically remember reading Wizard Magazine and seeing, like, Andy Kubert's like, sketches and everything, and how Ultimate Wolverine is taller than Wolverine because he's tall like Hugh Jackman. Because of Hugh Jackman, right. So, like, why not just make him look like Hugh Jackman? Hugh Jackman could have a soul patch. Maybe he, was, maybe he was, looked like Doug Ray Scott. <laughs> or Glenn Danzig. Maybe. The two guys Wizard always wanted to cast as Wolverine. But it's like... Doug Ray Scott was cast. Oh, that's right, yeah. That's right. But, like, what they did to Wolverine was, like, okay, he has a soul patch now, and he's not wearing a mask that goes over his hair. He's not wearing a mask at all. Which is, those are just weird design changes to me. I don't know if Wolverine was wearing, like, a mask at this time or not. Like, in the comics. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe right before... Morrison X-Men. Yeah. This, I can't remember if this was before or after Morrison X-Men, but this is, these ultimate X-Men, X-Men have leather jackets. 
just like the movie X-Men. So that is actually a point in their favor, having leather jackets. That's always a good look. Should have given Iceman a cool bandana. In the movies? In the movie, yeah. Next on Greg's list is X-Men Operation Zero Tolerance. I know for a fact I've read this comic. I can't remember what happens in it. All right. Here is... Oh, I've read this. I've read this. So the issues that are included in this crossover... Uh, it ran through X-Men books in 1997. It included art from Carlos Pacheco, R.I.P. The Realist. I'm trying to find the specific issues that were in it. Marvel Database will potentially help me out. All right, here, here it is. Cable number 45. X-Force number 68, cable number 46, X-Force number 69, cable number 47, nice. Uncanny X-Men number 346, Generation X number 29, X-Men number 66, Wolverine number 115, X-Men number 67, Wolverine number 116, Generation X number 30, Generation X number 31, X-Men number 68, Introducing Marrow. Oh boy. Wolverine number 117, X-Men number 69, nice. And Wolverine number 118. I read some of these. I did not read all of these issues. I I definitely didn't read the X-Force or Cable issues. (laughs) I think I read some of the mainline X-Men books, though. Interestingly, this only went through one issue of Uncanny, but multiple issues of the regular X-Men book. I I have to have read this. I have to have. I have no memory of this story. I, I remember that cover with Marrow on it, like, really vividly. But I don't I don't remember Oh, this was a Scott Lobdell joint. The professional comics writer Scott Lobdell? That's right. Huh. The writer of Opera or of Happy Death Day, Scott Lobdell. It's a Senator Robert Kelly story. He instituted Operation Zero Tolerance. But yeah. I I remember when this was coming out as vividly as I can. I know for a fact I didn't read every single one of these books, though. Yeah, uh, don't put that on the catch-up list. But I do not. I can't rank this one. <laughs> nor can I. Nor can I. This is apparently in the like an aftermath of onslaught story, uh, running through the books in 1997. So. I, I vividly, I, I really vividly remember those covers, but I can't tell you what the stories were. Uh, f- 
The third thing on Gregory's list is Uncanny X-Men numbers 475 to 486, The Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire. I don't think I've read that. Hmm. That is... That's a 90s story. Right? Well, if you start typing Rise and Fall of the into Google... You gotta make sure you you start writing Shi'ar Empire. Oh boy. Okay. Oh, no, this is this is with Vulcan, baby. This is this is Brubaker X Men. Yeah. Okay. So I've definitely read this. This is the one where where Vulcan takes over. This is the this is the one where you find out about the third Summers brother. That's right. Yeah, bud. This is a an Ed Brubaker, Billy Tan joint. Yeah, so it doesn't look great. No, it does not look great. It's. I remember talking to Steve Epting, uh, the co-creator of The Winter Soldier, because uh, he was uh, uh, in Columbia, and uh, he shopped at the 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 store where I worked. I remember telling him what, like, how funny I thought it was that Ed Brubaker, who, like, still at the time, and I guess, I guess, like, like, still now, is known as like this hard-boiled crime guy. And I'm like, yeah, but like, he brought back Bucky and gave him a robot arm, and now he's doing the fucking Third Summers brother. He's doing all this stuff that's like the most 1993 ass plots. And Steve was like, yeah, and he has no idea that that it, it's so 90s. And I'm like, he gave Bucky a cyborg arm. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the beauty of it, right? Like, not knowing that you're doing something that was, like, common in stories ten years ago, and then making it fresh is, like, that's how you, that's how you end up with good shit. And like I liked this story. Like I, I, I thought Vulcan was like an interesting character. Like I liked that there was a a third Summers brother that we got, and he was so weird and not what I expected, and also not Gambit, which is unfortunate. But you know, yeah. Uh, uh, some yeah. of these issues, some of these issues are drawn by Clayton Henry, by the way, rather than Philip Tan. Those one, those issues look better. Or sorry, Billy Tan, not Philip Tan. Uh, but uh, those issues do look better for sure. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Continue. No, that's that, that's all I got. Well. <laughs> I don't remember if I read this as it was coming out. I can tell you just based on how many issues of this there are, it's too long. There's there's no no reason why this story about the Shi'ar that introduces Vulcan should be 12 issues long. I mean, you say that. 
Is is this a story that requires a full year to tell? Well, I mean, Matt, like, what you don't want us to know what happens with Deathbird? I mean, you know better than me because I think you read all of this, and and you don't want to. You don't want to find out about what happens when Professor X goes into the Macron crystal, (laughs) buddy. Do you do you think it warrants the full twelve? I mean, probably not, but I don't know. Like, there's like three stories in comics history that deserve twelve issues. It's like Squadron Supreme, Watchmen. That's kind of (laughs) it. Nothing else needed to go on that long. Yeah, and this this was a time period where this was a time period where you know stories just went and went and went so long. Yeah, it was it was very decompressed. Yeah, All Star Superman that could probably use used all 12 issues but that was like different stories that was like four different stories in those 12 issues they all came back together at the end but like the the story where superman was fighting solaris the tyrant son was not exactly the same story where he met zibaro that's true you know what i mean zibaro am king of cool That's a perfect Bizarro voice, Matt. <laughs> Zabaro M. King of Cool is like we all talk about like the oh it's it's not as bad as as you think it is. You're stronger than you think you are. But like no line in All Star Superman is as good as Zabaro <laughs> M. King of Cool. It is the best. I love it. <laughs> oh Yeah, th- this story's fine. This story's pretty good. I feel like everything we're ranking in this special is just like, it's fine. <laughs> I think we're having a lot of fun talking about comics that are just fun. Yeah, that's true. Uh, All right. This story is better than Dingbats of Danger Street. Not as good as Jim Zub's uh, Raven Lost story from Dungeons and Dragons. That puts it where? Uh, between 10.09 and uh, 10.15. Okay, so we just got to find... Where in not, there? It's not as good. It's not as good as uh, what if Wolverine was an agent of Shield? It's probably better than the first appearance of Hitman. All right, so that would put it at the new number ten twelve. Yeah. Uh, so rise and fall of the Shi'ar Empire, which is uncanny X Men. It's so many issues of Uncanny X-Men. It's 475 to 486. That's 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 a lot. That's a lot. God forbid the X-Men take too long to do something. <laughs> uh, all right, there since we didn't rank Operation Zero Tolerance, there is an alternate here on Gregory's list, which is Uncanny X-Men numbers 281 to 293, Bishop's Crossing. Boy! Can I admit something, Chris? Yes. So I got this, I got this zoo project coming up. Mm-hmm. And I was asking around, like, hey, what podcast should I ask to be on? 
Should I like be like, I got a Zoop project. Let me on your podcast. And I've I have booked a couple of podcast appearances over the next couple of months. But one podcast that people kept saying I should be on is uh, the Cerebro podcast. Okay. Which I have to admit I have not listened to. But it is essentially like people come on and they do a deep dive into a per- one specific X-Men character that is like their all-time fave. And they dig into like the minutia of everything about that character. And mine would 1,000% be Bishop. Lucas Bishop, mutant detective? That's right. Okay. Like, of course that's going to be my pick. He's a fucking noir detective who's also a mutant. Right? And a time traveler. And a time traveler from a bad future where they tattoo an M over your eye. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. But, But, like... I'm scared to go on Cerebro because I'm like, I I think I know a decent amount about Bishop, but like, I I don't know everything there is to know about Bishop. Are you worried about getting called out? I I am. Or not I'm, knowing uh, X Men shit because I can tell you it's not as bad as you think. <laughs> uh, I will say this this Bishop shit. This shit written and drawn by Will Sportacio mm-hmm. is good. <laughs> it is good. I mean, it, it is good. Talk about not being able to get any more 90s. Talk about Bishop saying to a depowered uh, Colossus, Enough. Your charade begins to border on blasphemy. That's what we're talking about right here. Yeah, yeah, but let me tell you something about uh let me tell you something about Bishop and Bishop's first appearance. Um I love that like Bishop like Uncanny X-Men two eighty two has Bishop on it. Yeah. It's also got Malcolm and Randall on it. Mm-hmm. And the cover says his name is Bishop, so don't get too attached to Malcolm and Randall. Yeah, what 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 have we learned there? Malcolm and Randall are not sticking around for too long. Yeah, Malcolm and Randall. Uh, <laughs> Malcolm and Randall maybe uh, should have should have written some letters to their family before they went on this mission. <laughs> does does Bishop have the most '90s power of all time? Which is that he can get shot with laser guns, and that just makes him stronger and turns him into a laser gun, but he also has a gun. (laughs) It's pretty 90s. It's pretty 90s. It's pretty 90s, and it fucking owns. (laughs) I, I like that Bishop evolved over time to, like his powers went more like they evolved from being not so much gun based to being more uh, mental, more intellectual as he became, you know, superpowered mutant detective, Lucas Bishop. 
what I really like is his one of his powers eventually became he always knows where he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's never lost Bishop. Uh th- I mean these are like these are high 90s comics and I kind of love them. Yeah. And when I say I kind of love them, I mean I fully unreservedly fucking love them. Yeah. Well, they, these these were the uncanny issues that were coming out concurrent to the start of the adjectiveless X Men book. So they had to compete. They had to compete with the Jim Lee shit. And I think they did a pretty good job. I think Will Sportacio did a pretty good job of, you know, being like, "Here's some new shit. Here's Bishop from the future." My one complaint about this story, as with most X-Men stories of this time period, needlessly complicated. <laughs> it is very, very complicated. My one complaint is that everyone in the X-Men should have adopted a kicky scarf mm. as part of their uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and cool bandanas. Hey, X-Men, let's get some more cool bandanas. Can't go wrong with a cool bandana. Hey, you know what rules pretty hard is the part in this story where Storm pulls a fucking gun on Bishop. (laughs) 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 Like, she she doesn't have other options for how to deal with this situation. It is also, like, the one thing about Bishop... I mean, one of probably several things about Bishop that are probably, like... I think if Marvel could go back and change it, they probably would. Mm -hmm. And that is the mutant tattoo over his eye. I'm trying to remember if that was, had already been like a Rachel Summers thing by this point. I think it had. Or no, Rachel Summers didn't have the M. She had the, the, the hound tattoos. Okay. I'm just saying, like, having something that mutants have that is a direct parallel to the actual tattoos that people in concentration camps got. Yeah, but it's not subtle. I mean, it's never been subtle. (laughs) That's true. It has never been subtle. I don't know, man. It's, it's, It's fine. It's pretty good. I like Bishop. Is this my favorite Bishop story? Not even close. What is your? Uh, is it Murder at the Mansion? Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that. I don't know why I even thought to ask. I really wanted to like District X more than I did. Uh, which which was the Bishop is a detective comic. Uh, I didn't like it as much as I wanted to, but I do like Detective Lucas Bishop for sure. And this this is the story that gave him to us, that brought him unto us. So I I can't hate it. But it it is needlessly complicated and does go on. More so even than that uh Brubaker story we were just talking about. So, 
it wasn't just 2003, 2004 where some stories were decompressed. No, nah, but it's it's the X Men 1975 to present. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> I th- I think this can go relatively close to the to the Brubaker story we just ranked. It's All right, this this I I feel like th- he's your guy, man. He is my guy. I might put it slightly above, but not like far far above. Um I mean, do you think it would go above that Dungeons and Dragons Jim Zub Jim Zub story? I mean, I love this shit. <laughs> All right, you tell me. You tell like, me where you would put this. I mean, Matt, I fucking love Malcolm Randall Bishop Storm pulling a gun. <laughs> that shit is great. <laughs> I'd say like I would say we could be looking at like I don't okay, I don't think the absolute ceiling, and this is probably way higher than the ceiling should be, is eight sixty two, which is Omega Red. Yeah, this ain't which, that good. This ain't that good, but pretty good. Alright. I'm gonna look like I think around there would be appropriate. Well, I'm gonna look for other X Men stories. And see what's around there. Uh, let's see. All right, Gambit versus Bishop. Nuff said, "Is it number nine eighteen? I think that story is better than this one. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Uh, which also puts it." below kitty versus a demon which rules actually that story is good <laughs> it's well that gamut versus bishop nuff said uh is two issues of x-men and two issues of ghost rider <laughs> uh all right ultimate x-men the tomorrow people is it 936 we just ranked it i'd i'd be willing to put this above that oh absolutely 100 percent a hundo p okay I think it goes right above it. All right. Man, Swamp Thing 32 really hanging in there. It is. It's good. It's a good issue. All right. So, Uncanny X-Men. Uh, how many issues is this long, long story? 281 to 293. <laughs> that is 13 issues of X-Men. I don't... I, well, hang on. It is. Are we ranking that entire thing or are we just doing bishops crossing well no i guess that is i guess that does go on i was thinking it is, it, was just, it is the whole thing like yeah like the bishop story goes on that that long pretty much all right give, give me those numbers one more time 281 to 293 i think it might actually end at 292 though 293 i don't think is included in the story because Executioner's Song starts at 294. Yeah, the Bishop story ends with 292. So let's let's end it at 292. It was 12 issues. Because Bishop... Bishop goes on about his business at the end of uh, 292. He's about to go beat up every fucking Morlock. 
at the end of 292. Bishop's Business. <laughs> now that would be a great story title. All right, so Uncanny Maxman number 281 to 292, and I'll put in parentheses Bishop's Crossing. Because 293, Bishop isn't even in. Okay. Uh, I don't Bishop, think. When, uh, oh, no, he's, he's in here, but it's it's a different story by that point. When Chad Bowers and I were writing uh, X-Men 92, and we came up with our version of X-Force, um, the premise was it was everybody who has a mutant power, but they use a gun instead. So it was it was Cable, Deadpool, a gun or a sword, because it was Cable, uh-huh. Deadpool, Bishop, Psylocke, and uh, I think Archangel was there because we counted his wings as guns. Actually, I'm I'm changing my mind. This story doesn't go that long. Bishop is just a member of the team by like two eighty nine. So let me try and see when Bishop's Crossing actually ends. Oh, it ends with 288. It ends with 288. That's when he actually officially joins the team. So I am changing the issue numbers submitted by Gregory. 281 to what? 288. Eight is where the bishop story ends. That's that's the story where he just walks straight up into Storm's room <laughs> while she's half clothed and says, "This is a hard thing for me to admit, but you were right." My command insignia, Storm. I fought my whole life to earn them. Sometimes I thought there could be no greater prize. Now I see I no longer deserve them. I am not the leader here, Storm. You are, and rightly so, for you have much to teach. And I, once more, as in the very beginning, I have much to learn. That's all one page. That is so much dialogue. It's it's a, it's across a couple of pages, but yeah. That's definitely where that story ends. It ends with 288, not 292. So that was only eight issues of X-Men. That's not so bad. How are we doing on time here? I don't think we have enough time for a whole other list. I think we're about we're all five minutes away from the end, I think. Yeah. Uh, we could start a list that they then we would have to finish next time. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Here's a, this is a list from Patrick O'Duffy. Ah. And the, the, the boss dog, Patrick O'Duffy. This list is called The Beginning of Tomorrow, a.k.a. Bursting from the Pages of Zero Hour. Oh, hell yes. 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 First up is Manhunter, Volume 3, numbers zero, 0 through 12 by Stephen Grant. And Vince Girano. That comic is okay. <laughs> now, have we ranked this? No, have I believe we ranked we several different versions. Kate Spencer Manhunter. Right. We this ranked the, the yeah. 
We ranked the Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson Manhunter. Which kicks ass. Both of those books actually are good. This is the Manhunter that looks like Death's Head too. <laughs> it is! Right. right. That no, is I know. Look at that motherfucker and tell me I'm wrong. No, I'm laughing because you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this okay, so this is the Manhunter from nineteen ninety-four. Yeah, baby, this is Chase Lawler. This is this is from the pages of Zero Hour. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um this comic is okay. <laughs> the, yeah. Like for a while there, DC would do these crossovers, and all of them were bad. But they would all have like one really, really good comic come out of them. Right? Like with Bloodlines, it was Hitman. With Zero Hour, it was Starman. It was not Manhunter. <laughs> it was definitely not Manhunter. But I mean, it's fine. It's Stephen Grant. You know what this Manhunter feels like? Because I'm looking That's back at... Well, yes. I'm looking back at some of these issues. It feels like Spawn. It's it's got the spawn vibe for sure. Yeah. It's like DC is trying to do their version of spawn. Like all the way down to the demons like talking to him. I mean, yeah, man, that's 1994. Yeah. It's like they're definitely trying to do their version of spawn. Yeah. And I think that's like that's evident, but, you know, Stephen Grant pretty good when he needs to be. Oh, yeah. I don't think he needed to be on this one. I mean, And I don't think he was great on this one, but there's some good stuff here. This is an editor coming to Stephen Grant and being like, hey, so we want to relaunch Manhunter. Can you make it basically spawn? Can he have just wild shoulders and another do-rag? And a huge chain. And a huge chain. And claws. He's yeah. gotta have claws. And then in number seven, Captain Adam shows up. <laughs> Alright, let's rank this, because we gotta finish this episode, and then we'll have the promise of more post-zero-hour characters. I'll tell you what, I don't know anybody who likes bad DC Comics characters that emerge from mid-90s crossovers more than me. Other than Patrick O'Duffy, the boss dog. Gunfire's biggest fan. Patrick Gunfire's O'Duffy. biggest fan. Andrew Van Horn's number one stan. I feel like we're spending so much time in the same basic area of the list this episode, but is literally everything we've gotten. I think Manhunter is going to go there as well. Somewhere around 1,000. What do you think, Chris? Let's see, let's see, let's see. Yeah, it's not as good as Apocalypse Express, which is at 1,000 right now. Yeah. Not as good as that Punisher story where he is a uh, substitute teacher, and it's literally just class of 1984. <laughs> Punisher number 14, Social Studies. It's not as good as Kingdom Come, which we have at 1050, which is hilarious. But correct. But correct. I mean, the, the list is correct. Yeah. 
Kingdom Come is below that Garfield strip where he drinks dog jizz. I think that's I, I think that's accurate. I'm sorry. Sorry, Mark Wade. Like, we've had, Mark Wade on this show has talked about how he thinks Kingdom Come is okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think it's... Pro- I mean, it's not as historically significant as Green Lantern, Green Arrow, but I would rather read it than Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Where's Green Lantern, Green Arrow? It's at 1093. Okay. Is it better than the first appearance of Gambit? No. Okay, then it's going below. It's better than Combo Man. It's it is better than Combo Man. All right, is it better than Thor: The Colonizers of Rigel from Annual Two Thousand? I think there might they might be those stories might be equally good. I'm gonna put it below that. Thor story that has art by Ladron. Yeah, I, I just hate that. What are obvious reasons? I hate the recorder. I hate the recorder so much. I know you do. Uh, all right, ten ninety seven on the list is now Manhunter. Uh, the nineteen ninety four version by Grant and who's the artist? Uh, the artist Vince. on this book is Vince Giorano. Giorano, who is doing a heck of a uh, Todd impression. Like, I, you cannot convince me that this is anything but DC Comics being like, hey, we should have a spawn. This was the book Greg Capullo was born to draw. <laughs> and unfortunately, he did not. So. He did not. All right, we will come back for the rest of... Patrick's list next time. There's some good ones in the two and three spots, Chris. It will be interesting to talk about those. Uh, if you would like to send us an every story ever list, you can do so at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. That is also where you can uh, send us listener questions or let us know if you want to sponsor the show or get in touch with us for other reasons. You can donate to this show and make these every story ever specials possible by donating to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash warrocketajax. It is a place where you can get lots of rewards, uh, including line-stepping privileges, for the Every Story Ever specials. Warrocketajax.com is our website, which has links to every episode we've ever done. Uh, You can also get in touch with us on Tumblr, warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com, on Twitter, at warrocketpod, or you can join our Discord, Uh, All you have to do is ask us for an invitation to the Discord, and we will make sure you get one if you ask nicely and promise not to be a jerk. War Rocket Wiki is the fan-run repository of everything you need to know as a War Rocket Ajax fan. Go check that out. The Every Story Ever list is there, in addition to the other places where it resides. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at mattdwilson.net. The link to my aforementioned Zoop campaign is there. So go there and click that link to see the placeholder page for my Zoop campaign, which will be starting uh, within the next few weeks. Chris, where can people find you and your stuff? 
Everybody can find me at the-isb.com. Uh, there are links there to all the things that I do that you can enjoy. We'll be back in March with another Every Story Ever special. We will finish Patrick O'Duffy's list of zero-hour characters and many other things as we approach Every Story Ever special number 100, which might be a live stream. Let us know what you think about what Every Story Ever number 100 should be. Bye, everybody. Love you. Forever, 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 ever, 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 ever,